The Daily 202 is sponsored by T. Rowe Price. Check out The Confident Wallet, a personal finance podcast series by T. Rowe Price and the Washington Post Brand Studio. Good morning. I'm James Hellman from The Washington Post, and this is The Daily 202 for Wednesday, January 9th. In today's news, President Trump's campaign chairman Paul Manafort shared polling with an associate tied to Russian intelligence. Beto O'Rourke is leaning toward running for president. And Gabby Giffords returns to the Capitol eight years after nearly being assassinated. But first, the big idea. In a nationally televised address from the Oval Office last night, Trump declared a growing humanitarian and security crisis at the southern border. Making the case for his proposed wall, Trump painted a harrowing picture of danger and death. He described undocumented immigrants as murderers, rapists, and drug smugglers, and he said $5.7 billion for a steel barrier is the only solution. But Trump's scripted nine-minute remarks contained little that was new. Indeed, he repeated most of his standard false statements on the issue. And although he promised to continue negotiating with Democrats to end the budget impasse, we're now in day 18 of the government shutdown, he did not detail any fresh offers in his speech. In a joint response, Nancy Pelosi and Chuck Schumer accused Trump of fear-mongering. The tag-team rebuttal was the latest sign of how closely the two are working together to present a united front. Aides tell us that the two have talked several times a day since the shutdown began, mostly from their cell phones, and so frequently that they're often relaying updates to their staff, not the other way around. Schumer is famous for having memorized the cell phone numbers of every member of the Senate Democratic Caucus. Now he's committed Pelosi's digits to memory. Meanwhile, there's fresh evidence that Republican lawmakers are continuing to crack, at least on the margins. Vice President Pence lobbied House Republicans behind closed doors last night to stick with Trump, reminding them that the president will not sign any spending bill passed by Democrats unless he gets his way on the wall. But several key Republicans went on the record to say that Trump should not declare a national emergency, which would allow him to circumvent Congress and draw on military accounts to build the wall. Opposition is especially strong from defense hawks on the House Armed Services Committee. They voice concerns about cannibalizing the military budget to pay for a wall they see as unnecessary. And over in the Senate, two Republican women pushed for a compromise that would separate funding the government from the debate over the border. Shelley Moore Capito, a West Virginia Republican who's a senior member of the Appropriations Committee, advocated for passing bills to fund every part of the government but the Department of Homeland Security. Alaska Republican Senator Lisa Murkowski, whose state has many federal workers in vast stretches of federal land, joined her. And the Bipartisan National Governors Association wrote an open letter urging Trump to end the shutdown ASAP. Maryland Republican Governor Larry Hogan Someone else who represents a lot of federal workers is the co-chair of that group and wrote the letter. Meanwhile, the toll that the shutdown continues to extract on federal workers gets worse. And here's an ironic one. A lawsuit challenging government employees being forced to work without pay is not proceeding because so many Justice Department attorneys have been furloughed. The December 31st lawsuit filed by a federal employees union alleged that the shutdown illegally forced more than 400,000 federal workers to report for duty without knowing when they're going to get their next check. The court had previously held that employees need to know when they'll receive their paychecks. But after more than a week, that case is still in limbo because no federal attorney has been assigned to the case. 
And that's the big idea. Here are three other headlines that should be on your radar. Number one, Paul Manafort, when he was Trump's campaign chairman, shared 2016 presidential campaign polling data with Konstantin Kilimnik, an associate that the FBI has said has ties to Russian intelligence. This information was made in a filing by Manafort's own lawyers, which inadvertently included details not intended to be made public. They did their redactions wrong in Microsoft Word. It indicates a pathway by which the Russians could have had access to private Trump campaign data to micro-target their influence operation on platforms like Facebook. The former Trump chairman on Tuesday denied that he broke his plea deal by lying repeatedly to prosecutors working for Bob Mueller. In his rebuttal to the special counsel's claims that he was dishonest, Manafort exposed these details of the dispute, much of which centers on his relationship with Kilimnik. The Russian citizen who began working for Manafort's consulting firm back in 2005 has been charged with helping his former boss obstruct the investigation into Russian interference. He's believed to be in Moscow, which means the Russians won't extradite him to face trial. According to the filing, Mueller also accused Manafort of lying about discussing a Ukrainian peace deal with Kilimnik during the 2016 campaign. Number two. A group of experienced Democratic strategists is joining an effort to convince Beto O'Rourke to run for president. An effort to encourage the former Texas congressman into the race, DraftBeto.org, has distinguished itself from similarly named efforts by attracting sought-after talent to its ranks, including two leaders of former Maryland Governor Martin O'Malley's 2016 presidential campaign. O'Malley, who wrote last week in the Des Moines Register that he sees O'Rourke as the new leader who can bring us together, has been encouraging this behind the scenes. He met privately in December with O'Rourke in D.C., and he told people afterwards that he thinks Beto is in. He even gave him a heads up about the register op-ed. Now, that enthusiasm pushed former O'Malley advisors in South Carolina, such as consultant Tyler Jones and a former state legislator Boyd Brown, to volunteer for this new draft Beto group. O'Rourke is leaning toward entering the Democratic contest, even as he publicly maintains radio silence about the possibility. Number three, a bipartisan group of House members introduced legislation yesterday that would require background checks for all gun sales. Federally licensed gun sellers are required to run checks on people who buy weapons, but private sellers who aren't federally licensed do not need to do so. The House measure is among the first actions taken by the newly elected Democratic majority, which has pledged to make gun control a top priority. Now, this bill garnered the support of five House Republicans, a rare feat on an issue that is so often cleaved along party lines. Joining the bill's proponents at the Capitol was former Arizona Congresswoman Gabby Giffords. She was shot in the head eight years ago Tuesday during a constituent event in Tucson. The fact that this bill is a priority for Democrats and Pelosi demonstrates how radically the political calculus around guns has changed in the last few years. When Pelosi first claimed the Speaker's gavel back in 2007, Her majority was built from several dozen Democrats in rural areas who had secured the endorsement of the National Rifle Association. In the four years that Democrats held the House majority previously, they never advanced a single significant gun control measure for that reason. And in the eight years they controlled the Senate, Democrats held just one meaningful debate on reining in gun laws in the spring of 2013. It ended amid a Republican filibuster. That was after the shooting at Sandy Hook Elementary School. Now, all that said, Senate Republicans and Trump have no interest in taking up this new background check legislation, but you can expect that there will be a debate and renewed public attention on the issue. 
And that's The Daily 202 for Wednesday, January 9th. Thanks for listening. I'm James Hellman. I'll talk to you tomorrow. The Washington Post has a new daily podcast, Post Reports, hosted by me, Martine Powers. Every weekday afternoon, we're bringing you stories about the state of the country, the world, and how we come to know the things we know. Get it now at WashingtonPost.com slash Post Reports.